You're listening to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. All right, welcome to a new episode of Yoshiden. I'm back in Los Angeles. Why are you smiling, Brody? And uh, I'm back at Rec Hall's place. He's very generous. Uh, let me use his apartment. And um, I'm very looking forward to doing this. Um, I'm here with my good friend, Brody Stevens. Brody. You got it. Yeah, Stephen Brody Stevens here with Yoshi. Brody, I know many of your fans and your friends know you as the very funny guy, uh, great friend. But um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit of your background, little, a little bit about your career in Hollywood. Uh, uh, yeah, go right ahead. A tremendous amount of success. Well, uh, just I mean, my resume is full. I like I liked you in Hangover One and Two. I happen eight. to be, you know, I don't talk about Hangover Two that much, but yeah. Well, why? Why is that? Uh, it's just hard for me to read back the lines, like Hangover One. I had a solid line mm-hmm. that I could do. <clears throat> Whereas Hangover 2, I had three little small lines. Here you go. Good to go. Follow me. It just doesn't play when I recreate that scene for my crowds. Yes, I do the line from my movie as part of my stand-up act. Sure. <laughs> well, well, so explain to me... <clears throat> Well, what was your experience in Thailand, first of all? I mean, For Hangover 2? Yeah. I enjoyed it. I've never been... Well, I've been to Asia. I've been to Tokyo. For baseball. For baseball. Well, I went with... Uh, saw the Yankees play over there. Mm-hmm. Went to one of their games. Your close friend, Mike Brazillo, used to play for... Uh, work for... Well, I have Yankees. a friend mm-hmm. I grew up with who is a coach in Major League Baseball. He's been doing it for 18 years. And, yeah, he was with the Yankees back in... 2004 and he said they're going to japan why don't you you know go over there with us or like meet us over there sure so, so i did go over there it's interesting i liked it and then i got the call to do hangover 2 and that was over in bangkok in right. thailand and i've not been over there that was the first time and that was uh you know it was interesting it was cool you know i, I think traveling is great and for me, I liked it. They put us up in a nice hotel, of course, and I was able to eat breakfast there. I mean, eating food's a big thing when you go to, like, Thailand. What do you eat? You eat the local stuff, street meat. You go to Sizzler in the mall. <laughs> they didn't have Sizzlers. Oh, yeah. Yet. They had Sizzler. They in had, Thailand? Yeah, Burger King. That I believe. McDonald's, mm-hmm. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um. Yeah, they had a bunch of those places. The malls are really nice. There's a couple of really nice malls yeah. there in, in Bangkok. And, uh, yeah, they had a bunch of American-type places. Now, um, I'm, I'm always been fascinated by you because I, your knowledge, because you play baseball for a long time. Well, I, I went to college. Yeah. I, I played baseball here in high school in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. And then, yeah, I went to Arizona State. They recruited me. They showed interest in me. Yeah, you were a pitcher, right? I, I was a pitcher. Yeah. And I wasn't like I was a top stud recruit, but they showed interest in me. 
And I always wanted to go to the desert, get out of L.A. a little bit. Sure. And so the fact that they showed some interest in me kind of perked me up and that, you know, helped that happen. Yeah. But I didn't earn a scholarship until second or third year in. They recruited me, meaning that I didn't have to go through the, you know, the tryout process. Sure. I was kind of already in, but I had to earn everything else. Yeah including the scholarship, which I, I got after a couple of years. So here's some of my observation about you, sure. when, you when you do stand-up. I, I know you joke around a lot when you do warm-up, but I find it really fascinating because, um, you know, being a baseball player, you have to be meticulous. There's a procedure, right? You stretch. You get ready to pitch. Yes. You take your job very seriously. I know, yes. I know people think it's a joke, but I, I like the fact that you're very meticulous. You get there early. You, you figure out who's the guest and you, you, you know, there's a, like a ritual that you go through every day, just like in pitching and being an athlete. And I saw that. I was always impressed by that more than anything. And, you know, when you do make movies, there's a lot of waiting time, just like in baseball. You, you know, you sit there. There's a lot mm -hmm. of downtime. Right. And I know I noticed that you're always focused what you were doing. And I, I really appreciate it about you doing stand up or baseball that. You work really hard what you do. I don't know how much people well, appreciate you doing that. I, I mean, I, I I think people appreciate it, those mm. who see me all the time. But sure. that's the thing. When you're doing warm-up, you know, who sees you? The people there in the audience. Can, do, do you mind explaining? Because what mo warm-up is? Most of the listeners overseas, they have no idea. They never went to tape, TV taping. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Hello, Europe. This is Stephen Brody Stevens. <laughs> Uh, warm up basically is a guy that or gal who will warm up the audience, get them loose. And depending on what show you are at, sometimes you just get them loose. You'll do a set and hey, welcome to the show. Sure. Do some jokes. OK, you guys ready? Here we go. Boom. And then they're done. And then there's some guys who have to, you know, warm them up, talk to them. And then you're there throughout this show. For me, I'm there. The shows I've done. I'm basically there throughout the entire show. And I like it that way. I'm more involved. Yeah. So I worked at Chelsea lately for a long time. Currently, I'm at midnight. I do ridiculousness. You're a fantastic and best damn sports show. I, I was did that really, for a long time. Yeah, Thank that you. was you were great on it. Yeah, I mean, it's preparation. Knowing your call time. Knowing who's on the show. Confidence. Doing it a lot. I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, I can't do autopilot. I got to go in there. I turn off my phone. I'm totally focused on the show. I'm not focused on anything else. I have to be locked in with the audience. Because uh, when you do a good job, which is vast majority time, 95% of the time, except for that 5% where you have very difficult audience, like mm -hmm. they, they kind of fight you almost. But the half of the battle is done because when you do a great job, then the show, rest of the show, it will be easy for them. You know what I mean? They're already warmed up. They're ready to go and enjoy the show. But like, if, if they're not familiar, you got to tell them when to laugh, when when to listen, and you right. Know, well, yeah. it, it's it, for me, it's getting them in that rhythm. It's sure. getting up to speed. It's getting it's momentum. And when you work on, you know, a half hour show, and it's about jokes, and it's a daily show. It's it's a sprint. So you got to get them right out of the gate. Boom. Yeah. And go. 
you know, I don't do sitcoms. I haven't really. Those guys make a lot of money, from what I hear. Sure. But those are six-hour nights, and the groups are, like, right down the middle. It's sitcom, so there's no cursing. There's sure. no, you know, you getting groups, church groups, bust in, suburbs. Not that I don't get those where I'm at, but I feel like when I work on a Comedy Central show that airs on a nightly basis... We can be edgy. Uh, not that I'm edgy, mm-hmm. but the audiences are a little more, they go with it a little more. But also, I think, you know, I could probably do a sitcom. I, I, I you know, I know. I think so, too. Yeah, I probably could, but it's it's just about being nice. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's I, I, I found out that being nice is the way to go. And, and, that, I, and I noticed you're really good, like, when, when they genuinely don't know how they're supposed to behave, you're a good teacher. Like, you tell them in the beginning. Then once, they're, when you, once you explain to them nicely, they go with it. But there's one or two shows, I remember Best Damn Sports Show, I could tell they were kind of jerks. There was a group of kids. I don't know who they were, but, like, I think they were giving them a bit hard time. Yeah, that could happen. I mean, at Best Damn Sports Show, I did a thousand shows there. And... Literally. I, I literally. And I would get a lot of the repeat schools. That's so I would get, you know, one of the high schools they would come at least 10 15 times. So it's like they know me. Oh, mm-hmm. here's Brody again. So it wasn't like they were against me. It was just like they're too comfortable. It's sure. not a, it wasn't exciting for them to go see the best damn sports show because they've been here 15 times. Sure. So I would have to deal with that to make it fresh or get them to listen to me and I, I and I would also you know not just listen to me but be a part of the show and I if I had a football team in I'd let them feel connected with one of the football players on the show if I had a baseball team and sure. I tried to connect them with the <clears throat> baseball guy and you know push these crowds because a lot of times they're sports teams or fans of sports and you would say look Look at these guys. Super Bowl winner, World Series, NBA champion. These guys brought it. You're going to sit back on your hands and make them work? That's not that's not how it is here. <laughs> and the and, and you would have to give them you know, crack the whip sometimes sure. and, or, and you know, get on them and I not once did I have like a football coach or a basketball coach say to me, "Hey Brody, take it easy on my kids. They got it." Yeah. Whereas you know, I did Chelsea Lately, for example. I did that show three years there, 400 shows. And because that was a lot of young girls, blondes from Arizona and San Diego and all that, you can't – they were there to have fun anyway. Yeah. You know, that was the difference. Like, Best Damn Sports Show, it was fundraising, and some of them were fans of the show, but we just needed to fill audience space. So you, we did get a lot of fundraisers, whereas at Chelsea, it was all fans, basically, yeah. at that point. And so they were all ready to go. I just kind of had to mold them a little bit. But my favorite one that you did, and it was just, ma- you were masterful, was the Man Show. Man Show? Um, it, it, was, it was with Joe Rogan. Joe and Rogan. And um, I don't think the network didn't give them enough chance for the season two or anything like that. I thought the show was great. But, you know, to me, you were like a conductor. You had the whole audience, like orchestra, and you got those people going. I think even Joe and Stanhope will probably tell you they were just marvel 
that your ability to control the whole room and that's a big room you remember that yeah that, that was, was a, a humongous theory. room well and, and you had them going yeah well <clears throat> first of all doug and joe very supportive mm -hmm. you know i knew they were they great great they great liked me and let yeah. me do whatever i want what i wanted to do and that show they're fired up anyway so it's like it's a man show. So you know, a man yeah. show. They they you know they had been watching it for all these years. They're the juggies. It's you know comedy. It's juggies are those girls with the big boobs jumping up and down. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It's all that. So that was the vibe we went for. So that show, I had T-shirts. I had I had mostly T-shirts. I think you gave me porn tapes. I brought a bunch of porn to, to hand give out. Giveaways. Yeah. So it was a lot of giveaways, and uh, we'd get the girls to flash. That's what they wanted. So I yeah. get these girls. I go, who wants a T-shirt? I go, you know what you got to do? I mean, it was like really pushing it, but they did it, and the crowds would go nuts, nuts because I would say, you know, something like, we're looking for juggies. I'm looking for juggies. You know, I, did, I just I play the role. Yeah. You know, that's something will warm up. You know, I like the shows I work on. But I don't, uh, you know, some people go, oh, I don't like Chelsea or, oh, I don't like this show. I don't like it. it's corny or that show I don't get or, you know, you, you hear that. I just never allow myself to have those thoughts. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe if you really sat me down and quizzed me with a fine tooth comb, I could say, yeah, this could be better. That could be better. This. Yeah, but no show is perfect. No show is perfect, but it's also not my place mm -hmm. to say. You know, this guy should be doing that better. They should be doing that because, again, what do I know? I'm the warm up, and I just focus on, you know, if it's a comedy show, finding the funny, keeping the, it's an energy, clapping, laughing. That's it. Energy number one, laughing number two, because you're going to naturally laugh. Yeah. And you'll naturally bring some energy. But, the energy, the clapping, that's controllable. You can really do that. The hard laughs, that takes, that's a little, there's a little bit of magic there. And I feel yeah. like the hard laughs come from the show, hopefully. But there's times where a hard laugh comes from, you know, you got to like shake them a little bit. Sure. They're there. It's like sometimes they come to watch a show. It's like you're not here to watch a show, you're here to be a part of it. So it's like, I don't like to make nice TV. I like to make rockin' TV. I'm out there. I like to be pumped up a little bit. Sure. So when you get these crowds in who are like, they fake it because it depends on what show you're at. Because if you're at a super popular show, they're excited to be there. But when you're getting a show off the air, off the ground, yeah. or you're at a show that just, for whatever reason, doesn't it's not popular in the studio, you know, though those are... The audiences could be tough, but like Ellen, I'm sure, or Chelsea now, it's pretty much, there you go, yeah, here, let's really do popular, it. Yeah. You know, that makes it a lot easier. But then it also, I think, makes you a better performer in the long run, having to do the tough gigs. Now, um, you're doing warm-up, but uh, you also had a show, uh, Enjoy It. So yeah, you, were other, uh, you were on the other side of the side, too. So you must be a little bit more sympathetic, right? The rest of the group who work on the show, the other warm-up people, and and uh, um, hold on, um, the cat is okay. He'll come back in. Okay, yeah, yeah. there's a cat here walking outside. Go yeah. ahead, Yoshi. No, but um, so do you, you want to talk a little bit about your experience making your um, 
making this I mean, show. yeah, I can. I mean, to me, if you ask me, like the show that I did on Comedy Central, enjoy it, Brody Stevens. Um, Produced by some guy named Zach Galifianakis. Zach was one of the producers, and basically, I mean, I, in that show, I talk about real-life stuff. I do talk about me doing audience warm-up, but I, I would— And our good friend Tana Manu worked on it. Tana yeah. worked on it. A lot of people were on the show, yeah. a lot of uh, fellow comedians. And Even I was in one episode. You guys didn't use it. <laughs> Did you not get in it, Yoshi? Or you just in it briefly or at all? Oh, were I mean, you in the I, background I, for a somebody. Shots? Somebody just said that they saw me briefly. I think you're in there for a split second, but yeah. that interview unfortunately didn't got. It wasn't my call. No, no, I could kind of understand. Please you know, me talking about. Please don't get upset with me. <laughs> me choking some handicapped person. Probably not a good TV show. Oh, so. Okay, well, uh, made me laugh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but but I was very proud of you, and when I heard about it and saw it, finally, I was in Sweden, and few of my Swedish friends they didn't know that I was friend with you they liked the show okay but they really want to meet you yeah I've gotten good feedback on the show definitely um, I wouldn't say like oh it's huge my life has changed yeah but it's noticeable in, in a fact that you know people like it I've, I've had some nice emails and people on the street or People at comedy clubs or whatever saying that they yeah, like a lot the of big show. names are on the show too. I had some big names on the show: Jimmy Kimmel, Sarah Silverman, Sarah Silverman, Zach, Zach Galifianakis, Dick Van Dyke, um, Charlie Rose. Oh, Gal- wait, so how did you get Charlie Rose? I don't understand that. How did that happen? Was it through Zach? Uh, a little bit of Zach, a little bit of Zach. <laughs> but I had a you know I had to knock it out of the park. Yeah, that was the thing. People say, "Well, Zach got you this. Zach got you that." You hear that, or you know, occasionally. But I still had to go on Charlie Rose and do it. I still had to go on Conan and do it. I sure. still had to go on and do my half hour special. So, you know, I, I don't let that stuff bother me when people. Oh, Zach, that that doesn't actually doesn't really happen to me. For, for anyone watching the series, the Seattle one, you know, when you were leaving in limousine, yeah, and all your Seattle comedy friends were saying goodbye. I, I'm not kidding. We were very proud of you, and we were very happy. Like one of our own did it, you know. Well, I, I started out of that scene. Yeah, I started, you know, getting. But let me just—I'll finish up mm-hmm. on that. That thought about, you know, doing a show in the warm-up. They're still to me. They're different. It's just a different animal. It's sure. like stand-up, stand-up, warm-ups, warm-up, TV or whatever I was doing. You know, I was doing a reality kind of thing. Sure. So there are elements of warm-up in there, but to me, they are, you know, they're, I, I, they all, they, I can decom the different, de- po- three, two, one, diff, I was going to say <laughs> decompartmentalize, but there sure. are different compartments. Like I said, comedy, Drama. warm-up, acting, sports, sure. podcasting, exercise, yoga, tweeting, Instagram. They're all different platforms, but they all utilize a lot of the same muscles. So it's, it's all under entertainment, yes. Yeah, I well, exactly. So um the show you're asking me about the show. What was the you were asking me about Well talk a little bit for the listener who haven't seen it. It's um, very it's a very honest show. Very funny but sometimes uncomfortable. Oh, thanks a lot, Yoshi. <laughs> I, I, I like uncomfortable stuff. You know, that's me. I don't know if it was intentionally uncomfortable. No, but you're being honest. 
Yeah. Well, let me get back to the sure. Seattle thing first of all. Yeah. Um. I I want I always wanted to be truthful to my story and say, look, I started it my comedy essentially in Seattle. Sure. I did cable access in Seattle. I met Tana in Seattle. I worked for the Seattle Supersonics in Seattle. Red Robin in Seattle. Cable access in Seattle. All that stuff. And I just wanted to implement all that into the show. Mm -hmm. So for me, this show is it was essentially, you know, there's a lot of that before. There was I just I covered all the bases. Sure. You know, at the it's a nice calling card and then some for me. And if you're not from Seattle, you used to have public access channel. Uh, Brody, uh, Brody, uh, Brody and Tana, Tana and Brody. We're on each other's show. Save the world, yeah. Jews and Samoans rule the world. It was such a popular show. They really, well, it, we it, had it, a popular really... show up there. And, and I'll I'll tell you what it was like. I think you you were doing it even before Tom Green. I'm seriously. No, I was at the same time. Same time? He, he might have been actually a little bit before, but I went up there. So you talk about the baseball stuff. Yeah. My baseball approach was when I was in college. It was just baseball in school graduate and play baseball and push it as far as I can go. And I did graduate and I was around the baseball team. I lettered. I, I started some games. I coached my last year. So I did that. So then when I started, when I looked into comedy, that's where I was being pulled into that world. Um, I, I just said, I'm going to apply the same work ethic sure. that I did in the baseball into comedy so i went up to seattle after uh just did a couple little things down here in la and when i went up to seattle it was just like hit the open mics that's what you're supposed to do right i wasn't gonna try and recreate the wheel so no. i knew you had to do open mics. But why, why did you pick seattle you have family up there i have family up there so when i was done with school at arizona state it was basically i came back to la and i took a couple classes and i worked on a film and i just kind of wanted to like dip my toe and see what it was like and i saw that i had some some my comedy instincts were kind of you know they're they were they were good i could tell like you're definitely a fan and i, uh, I felt comedy like favorites for sure well i felt like when i started doing comedy that that was it yeah. so i said that's going to be my path into wherever comedy will be for radio could be for tv could be for public speaking yeah and i knew by doing this workshop here in la i wanted to test and see if i liked it and every week i went i got excited and i would go to the workshop over at ucla and the class would end and then i'd drive by the comedy store and i'd look at the comedy store and i say like one day you know hopefully i'll get to perform there it was just so intimidating i wasn't at any clubs and in fact every time i go to comedy store i do notice your name on the wall so congratulations thank you very much yeah they they've been good with me my mm -hmm. name's up on the wall they they put me on the marquee almost one twice a week but eventually you decided to move to new york city and wh why did you decide to go to new york over la i wasn't ready i mean just like you know going to seattle mm -hmm. i knew that i needed to get out of la yeah. when i first started because that's where you, you don't start here. That's what the guys told me. And I did my one open mic, and I go, this is not fun. That's when I went to Seattle because I had family up there, 
and it was either go to Seattle or go to Phoenix. Phoenix, where I had friends, but no real comedy scene. Seattle, family, and there was an art scene up there. They were supportive, and I, I, I didn't realize that until my uncle said that. So that's when I went up there, hit the open mics, and then I saw that a couple guys were doing a cable access show, and I checked it out, and it, and it was like these guys were had something going on, an air of confidence about them, and they had TV time, and I was thinking, like, I could do that too. Sure. And at the very least, I'd be getting mic time for TV. It would help, and so I started doing that. That's how I got into that, and I did it with James Inman, who was a funny comedian, and then, you know, Joey Diaz was up there, Craig Gass, yourself, Josh Wolf, <laughs> and we just did all that. So basically... You got uh, as much as done, stuff done in Seattle right. than you thought next stage, New York. Yes. I, I got everything out of Seattle that I could. And I know it's like you, it's where you start. That's, you know, what they uh, mm -hmm. really playing with the cat, Yoshi. It's distracted <laughs> me a little bit. Stay focused. Yeah, you're a cute cat. You're nice. What's the cat's name? Um, you don't even know. Do you know the cat's name, Yoshi? Wait. The cat that you're petting uh, I'm, intimately. I'm, I'm you're rubbing not. it, the, the, the tail, you're <laughs> you're giving it affection, yet you don't know its name. I am blinking right now. Okay. We'll stay. All right. Stay, stay with me, Yoshi. Cat, take a breather. All right. Welcome to the Stephen Brody Stevens uh, Festival of Friendship. No. <laughs> Which is the name of a great podcast by it's Brody. It's a podcast. I went to New York because I always wanted to go. When I was a kid, I always wanted to go to New York. There was just something about it. And I knew as a comedian that that was a spot you needed to go. And I also felt after three years, I wasn't ready for L.A. And I had a friend back in New York, Mike Brazello, who was with the Yankees. He says, come out here, hang out, you know, check out New York. And I always wanted to go. May I add something? Sure. I, I think what people are saying to you is if you're not ready and you do stuff in L.A. and people notice that you're not ready or even worse, terrible, they're never going to give you a second chance. So you want to go L.A. when you're ready to be seen. Yeah, I and, think first impressions matter. Especially in L.A. Um, I also think that I just wanted to, uh, you know, live more, be in different weather. I did Seattle. Now I'm ready for something a little harsher. So it was like going to New York was just the right path. I did want to go. Yeah. I always knew that I wanted to live in New York. So when I got that opportunity... I took advantage of it. So then I uh, and I figured, okay, I found my voice in Seattle. I knew that people liked this Brody character, sure. amplified, uncensored version of who I am. And I was just birthed out of baseball and being myself and being around people, around comedians and artists and not necessarily jocks, athletes and the, you know, the frat mentality. Sure. So I got into the supportive environment, and that helped me. So then going to New York, basically, just same thing. Just pushed it, stage time, dove into it, and I figured by the year 2000, I was going to come back to L.A. But the time you spent in New York City, how, how, I mean, how big of a difference was it for you, comedy-wise, New York and Seattle? Uh, honestly, I went to New York, and probably within two weeks yeah i never thought about seattle meaning that and no knock on seattle i like it and i'm glad i started there it's beautiful but once i got to new york 
New York, the energy of New York for a performer, for a comedian, a guy who wants to do stand-up and craziness, New York was the spot to be. Right. You know, Seattle was great. Don't get me wrong. Music, cool. But that was kind of like on its way out. And again, as a performer, I, I, I the most I was getting is maybe a hosting spot or a guest spot in Seattle and I was doing what I could with the cable access. Right. But I, so I went to New York and right away, boom, I just started hitting up because could perform all the time. Shows went late and I just, I liked it. I like New York. You definitely see bigger performers too. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess I did back then. Yeah. You would see them, but it was also, you would be around people who weren't trying to be famous they were just trying to be great artists and performers. So you're down there in the Lower East Side, and it's just there. You're looking at the cat again. What do you think? The cat's going to run out, Yoshi? Uh, it'll come back. You keep looking at it. What, am I supposed to look with you? No, no. Now no. everyone thinks I'm a jerk. I'm just being honest, audience. I'm mm -hmm. not a bad guy. So, yeah, New York was great. It was something that... I think all comedians should do. I tell every comedian here in Los Angeles, you got to go to New York. You got to spend some time there and feel the city. Take the subway. Do do the crazy shows. Do the see the clubs. Because there's, there's so many places to do shows. It goes all night. And um, I think, what is it, Steve Burns? They did like 10 shows in one night. Something crazy. Yeah, you can do... I mean, average six or seven shows in a night. So you get that, and then not only that, you could perform all over the eastern seaboard. It's mm -hmm. just smaller there. But, I mean, for me, I always wanted to go to the East Coast for, to see if I could be funny out there. It's like if you can be funny in New York, you could be funny anywhere. It's tough. Yeah. So that, that, that was a lot for me. I, I was a barker at the Comedy Cellar. I was a tour guide at Radio City Music Hall. I waited tables at Cafe Undutois in Times Square. I did a comedy college game show where I traveled all around the country. I did Surf Reality, which was a, a famous show in the Lower East Side on Sunday nights with Face Boy. I did Collective Unconscious on Wednesday nights with Reverend I remember Jen. That. Yeah, and everybody was there. So many of these guys now that write for the Family Guy and uh, SNL, like uh, Julia Sharp, Alex Sulkin, Brian Tucker, Josh Comers, Josh Hannes, John Viner. I could just go on forever. Dan Cronin, all these guys writing on these shows out here. I started with so many of them at these open mics in New York City. And, you know, it was like, a great training for me but i knew that i wanted to come back here so and i would you know i'd visit but i would always hear stories of new york comedians coming out to la and not liking it they they weren't getting the same amount of stage time they didn't know how to drive it was too spread out it's uh, tough so you hear that and then you would hear road guys later on say you know, I, I go out on the road, I get laughs, and I come here, nobody's laughing at me. I can't get on these stages. So you hear, you would hear that. And then for me personally, it's like I'm from L.A. I grew up here. So I know my way around. You got This is home court advantage for you. Home court advantage, exactly. I know my way around. I have a car. I'm going to have a place to stay. I already know a bunch of people who are working in, in this town. Right. 
because I met him in New York mostly, some in Seattle. But by being around him, so these guys in New York, they started coming out here and writing on shows. So I had a couple friends already before I moved here writing on the Craig Kilborn show, the Late Late Show. So I would stay in contact. It was Alex Sulkin. I would stay in contact with him, give him tapes. And then when I moved out here, boom, right away I got He's on Kilborn. He's huge now. Sulkin. Yeah. Yeah, he's a producer of the family guy. I wrote Ted and, yeah, good friend of mine. And so he got me in there, and then I got Comedy Central Premium Blend. How did I get that? Because back in New York, I did a room called Luna Lounge. That was the top room you wanted to do on, it was Monday nights in the Lower East Side. It's like a lot of going in L.A., right? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, exactly, but it was more like... um groundbreaking mark mm -hmm. maron janine garofalo it louis was ck louis ck it was one of the first todd berry it was one of the first big alternative rooms yeah that came out of that 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 generation and so if you could do that that was a real feather in your cap so i actually i hosted then i hosted another time then i did a spot and then i hosted and i and i was up there like dave Chappelle was on the show todd berry uh, Mark Marin, I think Janine Garofalo or whatever, and it's like, you know what? I'm holding my own with these guys. I I'm fine. No one's going like, who's this guy? I actually did fine. I did good. So I was thinking to myself, you know, when I did that show and I was ready to go home, I felt like I could hold my own. I'm doing fine, and I'm ready to go home. It was just like being in New York. Sure. I felt like I was there. You got some of, that, some of that swagger back in L.A.? Well, I just felt like I squeezed everything out mm -hmm. for me that I could from New York. It's very, you know, it's I'm L.A. I'm used to suburbs and, you know, big apartment complexes, whereas everything in New York is family owned and it's old and different, which is great. I liked it. But at the end of the day, sometimes I want a little more peace. And how do you get that in New York City? You go out to the Hamptons, you go to the Jersey Shore or whatever. But if you're not from New York, what do you what do you do during the summer? You stay. So I came back home. And when I did come back, it was basically, yeah, I hit the ground running and I got premium blend because Jeff and Jeff Singer and Naomi Frisch and Joanne, they ran it. They also booked or they worked at Comedy Central. So the minute I got, I did that. I was already in with Comedy Central. Then I did late front. I did the late late show. Boom! So I had two credits right away in L.A. Living in L.A. in the year two thousand, and then I was able to do. I got passed at all the clubs like right away for the most part. For the most part, doesn't mean I was getting a lot of spots, but I got passed. Sure. And I remember I was doing, you know, doing the youth hostels, do, doing the same thing. Like okay. Just get on stage. Do what you did in Seattle. Do what you did in New York. Do what you're going to do in L.A. So I just kept getting on stage wherever I could and putting out positive energy and meeting different people and trying to get on this show and hosting that show. And then I met a friend, Rich Williams, who was booking a show at Brian Burke here in Hollywood. And I would go and host and do some spots. And then Rich Williams said he was working on a... You know, a TV show for sports. sports. Wait, is Rich the one who used to do Clinton impression? Yeah. Okay. Great guy. Exactly. Yeah. So he said, I'm working on this sports comedy show. So he told me about it. And then like a couple weeks later, I called him out of the blue and he said, oh, you want to 
we're going to do a taping today. Do you want to come on down and talk to the audience? I go, yeah. So I went down there and I talked to the audience in for a test show. They liked it. I came back the next day. Same thing. They liked it. And they go, you know what? We're going to keep an audience. You want to be the warm up? I go, yeah. And I was getting paid, you know, not much. But it was my first real consistent job. I got to be on the Fox lot every day. I, I got to be around sports every day. Fox executives every day. Uh, mic time every day. And a few bucks every day. And occasionally I would be on the show, but not much. I never pushed that. So that was the trade-off. I went right into warm-up. It, it, it's really fun for me to see um, the way you were interacting with the audience. But because you're a former athlete, you mm -hmm. knew their lingo, especially baseball players. Like, I think, I don't know which players, but they were kind of stunned. Like, they, I don't think they knew. You later explained to them you used to play for Arizona State. But you had a good rapport with those uh, baseball players. They loved you, man. Um, well, I mean, yeah. I played Division One baseball. What, what am I going to let some community college kid talk down to me? I played at a higher level. College World Series too, right? Well, I went. I was yeah. a, a coach, even though I didn't coach in that the, the World Series, but I was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I, 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 I Again, I know that whenever I do my pitching motion, the crowds laugh. So... It's just by doing it a lot. You get out there and you get used to it. Well, just, baseball just like comedy. It's repetition. You got to do it over and over and over, right? I mean, baseball is muscle memory. Yeah. It's repetition. It's, yeah. It, I, I love baseball. I love, you know, throwing. I love pitching. I don't need to really be competitive now. Like, oh, I need to strike guys out and make you look bad. It's. I would personally just rather play catch play some long toss, maybe throw a bullpen, field some balls, and that's about it. But, I, you know, as a pitcher, you, you look at the batter and you make adjustments, right? You try to read the guy. You read the audience, and you will go through the motion. Like, depends on what audience are going through. Like, you could read them and, like, okay, I'll probably do this material because this material probably worked better with this crowd. Another day... Maybe the audience is a little different. You know, I noticed like you make adjustment depends on the audience, and uh, I, I thought you were terrific at it. Well, thanks, Yoshi. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, when I played baseball, yes, I would look at the hitter, mm -hmm. read their mannerisms. If they're like digging in against me, sometimes I'd get pissed and I'd go, "Okay, I'll challenge you. You yeah. want to? You want to step up? Okay, I'm pissed," and I would challenge guys. And then sometimes you'd see them all pissed, and you go, you know, I'm going to throw you a curveball. You don't see it coming. Yeah. You do that. And then you would change eye level. I knew how to pitch. Like, okay, two strikes. You're going to see if he'll chase it up high, or you throw one in the dirt. And then, oh, you're going to throw one in the dirt. Now he's going to throw a fa Now you throw another one in the dirt. It's like you play mind games and you sure. switch it up. So I was a pretty good pitcher when my arm felt good for the most part. So baseball – yeah, in comedy, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, you read you read the audience, you know, and it all depends. There's so many variables. Am I headlining? Am I hosting? Sure. Is it warm-up? Is it a podcast? Is it inside? Is it outside? Is it Friday night, Saturday night? What time? Uh, is there another show next? There... Are they digging dirty act? Are they do do they prefer clean stuff? Do you want? Well, you know, you know what? I, I I'm not gonna I'll, I'm not gonna adjust for that. 
I, I'm not going to go. Here's an audience. They want dirt. They they like dirty stuff. Well, I have some dirty jokes. Sure. I have clean jokes, but I'm I I don't think I'm gonna I don't let an audience dictate. I mean, I, if an audience wants dirty jokes, as a comedian, to me, I find it more of a challenge to get them laughing at clean stuff. Sure. Funny's funny, so I, I'm not gonna. And then if audience wants clean, like, some, I mean, obviously when I'm doing warm up, I keep it professional. Sure. I don't curse. I don't go. I don't go dirty. So and then comedy stand up. You know, I'm in control. You know, it's like, yeah, again, the variables. Is it late at night? Is it Friday night, Saturday night? Is it an afternoon? It all goes into play. So based on when these shows are where they're at your crowd is kind of gonna be so it, it gonna factor into that as well but i take them on a journey hey we're at a comedy club on a thursday night let's rock and roll you're gonna do what i like to do i'm the guy on stage i'm i'm the professional oh it's sunday night okay it's sunday night i understand it's been a long week we're not i'm not gonna push it i'm gonna keep it here for you you know, it's as a comedian, you're in charge. But yeah, I mean, doing audio, you got to adjust. It's like today, I did two warm up gigs for two different shows. I got two different hosts. I got two different kind of shows. Similar, both comedy, videos involved. Yeah. But you know, these hosts, one guy likes to talk. One sometimes you got it's a dance. You know, you got to jump in there and you got to dance with these guys. It's just uh, everything. Yeah, it's like pitching. It's like doing stand-up. It's like orchestrating. You have to be tapped in with energy. The number one thing is energy. Putting that energy out. So you, I, I feel like when I put that energy out, it sets it up for you know the the joke the the relief the moment you know so many times and we're every time an audience is kind of flat clapping in and out or kind of not laughing for whatever reason <clears throat> i can go out there and go guys let's go we're doing nice tv it's not fun to me can we crank it boom and then Inevitably, the next segment, they're ready to go. You, 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 you just learn these skills. It's human nature. But at the end of the day, what I've learned is like I'm better when I'm nice. Yeah, nice is good. You can do fake anger, but not, you don't want to go into that red zone. And if you do, you apologize. I'm sorry. I'm a human being. I lost my cool. I'm sorry for punching that guy. <laughs> if you want a refund. <coughs> But I think that's what all I, I mean. I'm, I'm only speaking a lot. I know I'm talking a lot right now, but I feel as though I went on this big tour. I went all across America, and I, I, I kind of it's it's not the oddball. Right? I did the oddball tour. I did the road to oddball. So I'm more in touch with myself in terms of doing a longer set, seeing who's out there in different parts of the country, seeing how crowds react when they're at a club or a rock rock club or a comedy club who, who were some of the bigger name people you perform on that tour 
with the Oddball tour. Yeah. Dave Chappelle, Fly of the Concords, Jeff Ross, Hannibal Burris, Sarah Silverman, Christian Shaw, wow. Jim Jeffries, myself, Crystalia, um, Steve Renazizi, Fortune Feimster. A lot of people. Yeah, big names. What, yeah. was, what was Dave like? Um, we, 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 did you have time chance to talk to him? I would bit? see him a lot. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like buddy buddy with him, and mm -hmm. I wasn't in his inner circle. But I would see him all the time as he would get to the venue sure. and see him after the show. And sometimes there'd be parties, and I'd see him there. So uh, he's Dave's cool. Like no, I met him once. He was very nice. Very nice, nice guy. But I'm not in that inner circle. But I was always invited to the events and. Everybody was, you know. Well, you're there when, was it in Connecticut where yeah. where they start heckling him or something? Yeah, there was some friction back there in Hartford, Hartford I guess. It was like on a Thursday night. It was a last minute addition to the tour. And the, because the, I think it was, it was announced late. I think they had a, the, 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 the ticket sales weren't what they wanted to be. It was see. like almost a thrown together gig for some reason. And so when Dave went up there, I had fun. Like, I had no problem. I enjoyed my time where I did my show off on the side. and But what I heard was there were... I think the acoustics weren't that great. I see. And I think that the performers weren't having that much fun for that various reasons. But they were yelling at him from phrases from Dave Chappelle's show, and I think that irritated him. That's what I heard. I don't know if that's true. Well, I mean, that's been going on with him for a long time the last few years. People mm -hmm. at the clubs yelling... You know, I'm Rick James, bitch, and all that stuff. Right. So this may have been, a, yeah, a combination of that. Because Tipping point, yeah. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't going on before that or after that. Sure. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, they're going to yell out Dave's stuff tonight. Look out. Never happened. This one, I think, was just a mix of everything that went on that night. I w that was like the one time I left the show early. Yeah. So that shit tells you how. It wasn't that much fun there for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Acoustics, time of the night. I don't know. I, I don't have an explanation. I think it was like there was a big college football game going on. There was a lot of things happening. But it was which, a perfect storm. It was heaven. a perfect yeah. storm that was was percolating. And that's what you got. You got something crazy that happened. But it added... To the rest of the tour, it added some excitement. Is Dave going to be there? Is it going to get crazy again? Well, I heard like rest of the, the tour, it was great, no problem. People enjoyed the show. None at all, because it was big news. Mm -hmm. I mean, people knew about it, so I I thought it was pretty, uh, you know, it was good for the tour. Actually, gave yeah. it some buzz, and yeah, it was a great experience doing that tour. You know, you're getting, I'm getting out there, and I, I've been very lucky that Funnier Die has me involved in some of these things and Comedy Central's been good to me and I just keep putting out positive energy. It, it does. I, I only say like I'm positive because so many comedians are negative. It's like, why? okay, every comedian's doing negative comedy, I'm going to do positive comedy. To me, it just makes sense. And I, and it, it, But I've always been positive, meaning that I've been supportive, like I'm a good teammate, I'm a good... You know, if we're working together as a group, I add a little levity and that sort of thing. Sometimes at the wrong times, like I make people laugh when they shouldn't be laughing. I'd get in trouble, like with, with in baseball, like when we'd have weight training 
I'd be in there like the pitchers. We'd be lifting weights, and you had to, you know, we had timed things and all. And I would make the guys laugh, but not on purpose. They would just start laughing at me. And I remember like the strength coach, Coach Winter. He would like get mad at me. They go, "I'm so- they're laughing at me. I'm sorry. I'm here to exercise and get strong. I want to pitch." So, you know, I, I just. You know, people ask for secrets. They ask for pointers. You know, it's just, it honestly, it's stage time and jokes. And then see what happens. Stage time, you know, learn all, get on everywhere. Do the hell gigs. Do the craziness. Get that experience. Bark at a comedy club. Be a waiter. Be a tour guide. Do a podcast. Do the hell show. Do the warm-up. Do everything. Do radio. And then, slowly, you, you, you see what you're good at. You'll gravitate to it. You'll be, and all along the way, you'll be strong. And then, you still want to write jokes as a stand-up, but you just have to do it. There's no secret. Um, I just recently heard Dave Attell on Joe Rogan show. He, he said, said the same thing. He said the same thing. Thank you, Brody and Attell. Connected. <laughs> Yeah, you have to be. Because he was telling the story where this kid was thinking about doing stand-up. And he and Dave said, like, well, you know, stage it, whatnot. And the kid was disappointed, if I remember right, that Dave wasn't going to put him on the show that he's headlining that night. Ugh. It doesn't work like that. You, you have to do a lot of shitty shows because you have a lot of bad habits. You don't know what you, I mean, who you are from the day one where you ended up in 20, 25, 30 years down the road, you're a completely different performer. But you have to go through that. Just shitty gigs. Get on stage. And learn from them, you know. You know, there's fundamentals and there's, uh, you know, you can do things that make your odds, not your odds better, odds for what, but taping your sets, writing the jokes, listening to your sets, um, sitting down with somebody, throwing jokes off each other, going to the club, showing your face. And watch other great comedians do comedy, not to copy them, but learn from them, you know? I mean, you can do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, early on I would watch more comedy, but I, I and I and I just feel like I'm not burnt out on it, but I'm around it so much. Sure. It's hard for me. You know, I'll play around with my friends. I mean, I'm just not a, I don't think I'm a, fan of comedy to the point where oh so and so is performing here I'm going to go sit in the back and watch I, there's a few guys maybe there's I would do that there's always few there's always few there's always a few yeah I guess I'm like anybody else there's a there's a few guys that I would watch but I'm probably not watching to learn the few that you would go and watch who you, who, who are those for my you my friends my friends who make me laugh mm-hmm. Zach Don Barris Tana back in the day, um, guys who do impressions. Um, I, I just wouldn't, for example, let's say Louis C.K. Sure. Okay? He's performing. Say at the comedy store, and he's packing it in, which he does. And it's hard to get back in there. I'm just throwing out him, for example. Everybody would watch Louis C.K., right? Every comedian would say, I'm going to watch Louis Absolutely. C.K. Absolutely. Okay, I'm the one guy who's not going to watch. There you go. I'm different. Just like that. 
by saying I'm not going to watch somebody. That makes me different. Different is good. Now, is that a weird thing to say that you, you're, you're, Brody, you're saying you're different by not watch? That's your idea of being different. Okay, I'll be different too. I'm going to stab somebody. Now I'm different. <laughs> See how stupid your logic is? Okay, save a seat. I'm going to go watch Louie. No, I, I just think that I'm, I have, you well, know. I, because I completely agree with you. And like you, you perform so much. We, we watch so much comedy. You know, it's, it's it's not that we hate it. It's just I like I say I will only watch few. Like for me, David Tell, like I I I always watch him. It's just marble. It's fun. Yeah, he's just like amazing. Louis, I think I've seen him just once. I don't really know the guy. Yeah. But David Tell, I was always watch, and all my close friends in comedy that I like a lot, Russell Peters, right. you, but especially Russell Peters, and Jim Norton, um, you know, um, Tom Segura and Joe Rogan's and those guys. I think we're all just fan of a tell, and um, that guy I will always watch. But you're right; most people, unless they're my friends, you know. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm I around. To, I prefer to just perform. I prefer to perform. Mm-hmm. I'm around. Like I said, I'm doing warm up. Sure. I've done 2,500 television warm ups. I put a lot of energy out for people, and sure. I love doing it. Do I have the energy to sit there and uh, and laugh? In support, I don't want to bring dead energy into a room. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's why comedians sit in the back. Um, you know, I don't. I don't want to people. I don't want to come off like, oh, I'm too good to watch comedy. No, no, no. I know you're not doing. I that. like to play around, and I think, oh, this is what I want to say. My manager and friend, David Rath, at one point said, you know, you're not comfortable with yourself yet to enjoy comedy, and I think there's some truth to that because I, I am not yet getting there but i'm not yet secure in who i am as a performer or as a professional yet maybe i'll never get that to that point but i feel like i'm getting closer and i feel like when i get to that point wherever that point is then i can truly sit back and breathe and go i'm going to enjoy this guy i'm going to learn from there's no deep down um you know worries or confusions or uncertainties with myself i'm completely secure with myself i bought a condo i have a prius i have a girlfriend i have a child on the way i don't have those things so i'm not there yet yeah and that's part of it that's part of it so and i also feel i mean i got different things going on i played baseball i'm from here i have different i just have different things pulling at me because if you ask me, Brody, what are you? I'm a baseball player. If you ask me deep down, that's I'm I'm wired like a baseball player. I'm not wired like a comedian necessarily. If everybody does comedy, you're gonna everyone's gonna feel the certain stuff. You're gonna have nerves. You're gonna have your your stomach. You're gonna be sweating. You're gonna be pacing. You're gonna be relieved. You're gonna be nervous. All those come into play yeah so that's that's natural so as a human we're wired for that but how many people are wired to play baseball not many you know they just don't have the physical skills they don't have the mentality for it you can't stick somebody and put them on a in a game it's not going to happen you can stick somebody and put them on stage so 
When I say I'm wired for baseball, which I am, that's a completely different universe than stand-up. Do you mind talking a little bit of baseball? So do you? Do I don't you, want to. No. Come on, Brody. You could do you it. You got it. Am I talk? I know I'm talking a lot on this, but I feel like what I'm when I'm I know they I, hear me all the time. They rather hear you. All right. Well, I know I'm babbling a little bit, but I also feel that I am throwing out some good nuggets mm -hmm. for that that kid in Sweden, that youngster kicking a, a taped up soccer ball in Afghanistan. <laughs> um, yeah. Go ahead, keep going. Give me other examples. For that, <laughs> uh, that young soldier on an army base in South Korea. Oh, you came really close. I was actually, I literally was thinking about North Korea. There you go. So, you know, it's like, but that's what I am. I worked my ass off at baseball. Sure. Comedy. I feel like I had to work super hard just to be on the team. Whereas comedy, it's just be yourself and you'll be on the team. In fact, you'll be one of the better players. You know, it's like that. that's why comedy for me is, is a relief. Being goofy, being different, being an oddball is, is cherished in comedy. It's, it's uh, you know, something people strive to be. Baseball, you're those things. You're a weirdo. You get made fun of. You're like, oh, this doesn't work. You're stupid. Oh, you suck. And then you got to be a good pitcher. Get guys out. Be a good teammate. So I just felt baseball, you know, going back to that, being a pitcher, specifically, it, it kind of like, yeah, it made comedy easier. How does that sound? Playing Division One baseball. I'm sure if you played football or you played basketball, any type of college athletics, sure. something about college baseball at a high level, there is, you know, regiment. There's coaches yell at you. It's high stakes. Guys get hired. Guys get fired. Guys get cut from the team. Guys get suspended. You got to be on time. You got to wear a certain thing. You can't do drugs. You got to get certain grades. You got to go to a tutor. You got to go to this dinner. You know, all these things are happening. That that and that got me prepared, and I and I was told early on it. You know, playing sports matters. Saying that you played a college sport, you put that on your resume. It matters. Somebody looks at it, go, oh, you played Division One basketball. Oh, you played Division One. They're interested in that. That shows something. Because it takes a lot of discipline, not to mention you still have your schoolwork, you know. Right. And uh, there's a lot of restriction. If you're, if you're not familiar with the American collegiate system with uh, um, uh, NCAA, and, yeah, it's a lot of work, Brody. And um, Well, yeah, if an employer, you know, these days, who knows? Who knows? Things have changed. You know, there's guys hiring that don't know anything. So having a college degree and saying you played baseball, for the most part, it's a, it should help you. But who knows this day, this day and age? It may not matter. But for me, it did. Yeah. And it's about fundamentals. It's it, it, Of course, everybody wants to win. We're all competitive somewhere deep down. But it's about fundamentals. It's about you never go, I want to be on TV. 
I want to make a million bucks. I want a house. I want a car. Of course you want those things. You don't need to say it. All right, so how do you get that? Well, you take that and you put it aside. And then you just focus on the work. Stage time, jokes, everything we talked about. Sure. By doing that, something, there'll be a result out of it, hopefully. And if you have a bad show, you have to have a short memory. You have to go do another show next day and uh, continuously go on and learn from it. Yeah. Learn from your bad shows. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. You go on Twitter, everyone's kissing your ass. Then you get a hate tweet, then you get pissed. So it's like, bad shows are good. You learn. But then you, yeah, you can't let it you can't let it bring you down. You know, hopefully when you get to the point when you're doing it 20 years, you you don't have a bad show. You have shows that, yeah, that show was more fun. Why? Because of that. Or oh, that show could have been better because of that. I, I, I try not to, you know, my warm-up or if I'm doing a, a spot, I generally, I would say the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, I've walked away feeling good like not like this is a bad set sure you know you have moments oh i should have said that joke better oh i forgot to say that but it's never like fudge this hurts i have moments where it hurts like that hurt like when you tell a joke and it doesn't get laughs it doesn't feel good and then if you tell another one and then there's no another no laughs and then you can just feel that you can actually feel the energy being sucked out of the room you could feel it that's a bad feeling. Yeah. And then it's like, climb your way out. Climb your way out. Learn from your mistakes. Get the momentum going again. I've had plenty of those shows. East Coast. Yeah. And a lot of it is also trusting your instincts. You know, all because I'm different for whatever reason. Tall, dark, loud, you know, mannerisms. Funny I mannerism. know that if I follow somebody, the audience may stare at me for a minute or two because I'm different. They're sniffing me out. Where in the past, I would have yelled, like, what, what are you guys not into me? F you. <laughs> but now I kind of just stay in the pocket, smile, smile, joke. I know you're not, you know, killing my kindness. Yeah. These are just things you learn. But, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I, every night I go to bed, I'm like lucky that I'm doing, that I found comedy or, or it found me. Because what business in the world allows for you to be a complete weirdo and you can add goodness to the world by being a weirdo or being different, being eccentric, or being inspirational, being funny? So, And I think we're very lucky that this job will send us to places that we probably never would have gone in the first place meet the type of people they probably wouldn't have. I mean, if you would have told me 10 years ago I would travel to Scandinavia or part of Europe to do comedy, I don't think I don't think that was even possible, you know? Yeah. I mean, the travel's great. I haven't traveled as much as you. You're you're one of the master travelers. Like I said, I've done, I went to Bangkok for the movie. Sure. I went to Tokyo for, you know, baseball stuff. You've been to Canada to do shows? I've done Canada. Yeah. I've done... You know, I just got back going all over America, but traveling's great. You know, this, for me, the I mean, for me, just knowing that I get, to, I'm working on shows, I'm helping out the machine, sure. jobs, audience. 
you know, people coming out, flying out here to see a show that I'm a part of or making an experience better than, you know, take a good experience and make it great, you know? That's what I said. When I go home or when I leave the lot, I feel good. Like, I know, I know I'm going to bust my, my ass, yeah. my butt. But when it all clicks and it's a good show and everybody's happy and I had to little dig a little bit to work, you know, that's a good day. And it was a great day for me every time I go to Europe during Thanksgiving to do shows. But it's mm -hmm. part show slash vacation. And I will be watching American movies. And I think all three times I saw you in Europe, Hangover 1 and 2 and Due Date. You got it. And it was fun to see my friends. I mean, I don't know Zach well, but you were kind enough to introduce him. You met Zach where? Uh, mostly improv when he was hanging at the bar. I met you. I introduced him to yeah. you. How did I do? Was I nice about it? Yeah. And then uh, yeah, the nice last guy. big time was I was having dinner with Jonathan Brands and Jim Norton. Um, and I was with Zach and I brought him over? Yeah. And really? That that particular, what was the detective, personal detective uh, show of HBO that Zach was in? Oh. Uh, uh, something Death or something. Uh, I can't remember. Bored to Death. That particular night, Jim's episode was on with Zach. It's uh -huh. just pure coincidence that he was there and, and you guys were already there. Oh, yeah. And after you guys left, uh, Andrew Dice Clay showed up. We had a dinner with him, too. Dice but. is a good guy. I mean, that's another thing. Like, just meeting these guys, getting coffee with Andrew Dice Clay, seeing Eddie Murphy out, seeing Tim Allen out. And then especially, like, if they know you, it's just kind of cool. Yeah. You know? I grew up with those guys. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, Dice, Murphy. I don't know if you ever made Richard Pryor, but... Um, no. No. But, Did you meet him? No, I wish. But it's like I'll hit, I'll sit with Dice at the coffee house, you know, Starbucks or whatever, and you're sitting there, and it's like you're going, yeah, this is Dice. But I I also see him as like, you know, like a like an older brother, like a father. Sure. He reminds me of my dad, you know. So Dice, you know, that's the thing. Like with some of these guys, they're like more like family members. Sure. You know, I, I'm not a, like I'm sure I'm not an expert on Dice's r routines. I know his stuff, but I I just, but just being around him, he's always been nice to me. Like when I first, same thing with Rogan, Joe Rogan, and a lot of the comedians, but also Rogan and Dice. You know, within me, I don't know, six months at the comedy store, they both came up to me and said, "You're funny. Keep doing what you're doing." Yeah, Rogan did, Dice. So when when somebody who are legit who's legit comes up to you and says you're funny keep doing what you're doing that does matter you know i i can see how that that wouldn't keep somebody going or like okay cool that would translate into uh confidence and more, confidence exactly more confidence you have you you feel good about yourself and there's nothing like, i don't know how to explain to someone who's, who doesn't do comedy you wrote something that you thought of original idea you perform and those two things combining into a big laughter, it, it's a fantastic feeling. And, and um, you know, it's it's really fun when that happens. And I mean, for me, when I'm up there and I get a laugh, mm -hmm. does it feel good? Yes. But a lot of times it's just a relief. Like, ooh, I'm glad you <laughs> like that. Or, whoa, thank God you're laughing, so I'm climbing out of this hole. Yeah. So it's not like, I mean, for me, it's like survival sometimes. Again, like I mentioned er earlier, it depends on where you're performing at. Sure. So if you're, you know, for me, 
you know, I have certain spots where, you know, I'm super comfortable. So, I mean, I'm not saying laughs are bad. Don't get me wrong. Where are you most comfortable? Which rooms? Uh, I like the comedy store. But sure. here's the deal. To go in there like a packed, hot room, I don't always love those. Because it's like, I don't know, Mike, I'm a little different. So I don't, I don't want, you know, me being me, it could throw off a room. So if I'm in the middle of a show at the comedy store, there's a hot lineup and they pop me in in the middle. You know, I like it, but th- those are tough spots. Yeah. Whereas if I go on at the end of the night in the main room, there's less pressure, but I get to go on longer. I get to do whatever I want. And you do uh, little creative stuff, too. Sometimes. Oh, I drum, drum. I do crowd work, yeah. I goof around. Sometimes you might even bring a person up on the stage. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what I do. Uh, luckily, I always, I've complained, believe me, over the years that the comedy store doesn't give me good spots. But for the most part, they've been very good to me. And they put me on the marquee almost every time I perform. <laughs> My spots are better than average. And no, I don't get the prime. Rarely I'll get a prime time spot. Starting to get a few more. But maybe like a year ago, I I said to Tommy or maybe not. What's Tommy? He's a manager. He books it. He's a manager, all that stuff. I said, can I, I'll, I'll go up. Can I go up at the end of the show in the main room? on Saturday night, the Kinnison spot. That's when Sam Kinnison would go on at the end. And they started putting me on there. And I just, because I, I was starting to do road gigs on the road, but I, I, I had I had to train for them. Sure. So I kind of, I like, I, I said, all right, I'll do the main room, end of the show in front of five to ten people, and see what I, see if I can keep them. And I just kept doing it, and I went from like, 30 minutes to 40 to 45 to 50 to an hour to an hour and 10 an hour and 15 hour i just kept cranking out these hours there drumming crowd work and then when i went out on the road i was already pretty strong so i'm lucky that i get to do an hour in la stage time is tougher in la it's really tough it's hard i mean but again, I'm not getting prime spots. It's not like I'm going up at 10 o'clock at the Laugh Factory on, right. a, on a Saturday. I mean, the, the, that even, I would do it now, of course, I can do it, but I just, I don't know, I like the, the approach that I'm going. And, and here's the deal. I'm being, these, these spots are happy naturally. Again, it's like me saying, stop looking at the cat, Yoshi. It's like me saying, you know, by the year 2001, I want to be headlining at the comedy store. I want a 10 o'clock spot. You don't say that. You just you just follow your instincts. You feel what's right, you know, and listen to other people. Now, that was, you know, you just do it. I mean, I'm here right now. Uh, do I have to go home and uh, tuck my kid into bed? Do I have to have dinner with my wife? Do I have to? I don't do any of that. I'm here doing a podcast. I'm dedicated. I deserve everything I get. No, but you got to be. It's it's effort. 
It's 24-7 work. It really is. It's almost too much. I mean, Twitter. I don't know how people do it. You say I, I say I don't know how people do it. And then you talk to crowds, and I'll ask a crowd, did you hear about this? They don't know. I'm talking to crowds. I'm not saying they're the smartest. I'm not saying I don't know right. what demographic I'm dealing with. But I'm getting a crowd at the comedy clubs or at warm up or whatever. And you ask them, do you know where so and so is from? No. Or they'll you they'll be where are you from? I'm from here. Oh, so and so is from there. They don't know. I don't know. These people don't know. And I look at them, I go, nobody knows. Then I'll say like supplements. I go, who here takes psyllium husk? Extra fiber. Nobody? Okay, I do. All right. How many people here walk to Starbucks every day? Nobody? You dr- I do. And then I go, okay, let's stop. I'm not bragging, but are you in the hangover? Are you doing warm-up here at the show today? Do you park on the lot for free? See, whenever you <laughs> act that, here's the other thing. Whenever I start doing this character, yeah. you got to put in a joke. Of course, if I go like, do you, do you, do you park for free? Do you have a job? You don't want to rub it in their face that you're working and somebody's not. You got to put a joke in. But there is some truth to it because booking jobs is about energy. How do you get that energy? By feeling good. How do you feel good? By not being bloated. How are you not bloated? Psyllium husk. Thank you. (laughs) I mean. That's Brodyism right there. Right. These are little things. Because. No, but you, you say that, but it's true. Like Russell Peters always tell me, it's attention to detail that he believes is one of the big key to his success. He always pay attention to little details whenever whenever he performs, and uh, he doesn't make any mistakes. And he does similar thing, like you know, when you do warm up, you ask where you from. He'll say this string, Canoga Park. You know exactly which school you went, so you would say that high school's name in Moscow. I have yeah. a home, home field advantage. But yeah. yeah, so when you, whenever you do that, it makes them feel like you know them. You you make them feel like part of the show. I'd love that. Russell does it too, except he does it at the level like, where, what country you're from, which city, what really, and he, you know, he'll figure out exactly who you are, and they're always amazed by that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I learned it. I'm as a communications major in college. Right. People want to hear their name. People want to talk. People want to answer questions. They want to. They want to help out. So engaging an audience is good. And then I learned this from Tana. It was like, just be nice. Be honest with the audience. You know, if something's not working, tell them about it. The light's out. Sorry. I'm going to have to wait five minutes. i got to change the light. Be honest. Like, can we be honest here, guys? Get, Get to that honest point. So Tana kind of brought me, he kind of gave me that, like, let's be honest. So being honest, and then we all win. There's no, you know, we're, everyone's cool. We're cool. No yeah, tension. there's no pretend. No tension, positive energy. But it is about working hard. It is about the energy. I know I don't want to sound like, oh, it's like the the secret, the Mac. There is something to it. There is something to, like, you know, you can feel it when somebody, you know, gestures and points and yeah. does that. It's a rhythm. It's a boom. And then you walk into a room. Who wants a guy who's like, hi, 
I'm Brody. They want, hi, I'm Brody. Yes. So am I like this all the time? No, I'm not. But it's a valuable skill. Well, you and bring, you bring positive energy whenever you're on the stage. An audience like it. I mean, yeah, look, yeah, I do. But I've also been lucky, knock on wood. I've been lucky. I've been lucky. Who's to say I would bring positive energy if I... I mean, I'm only bringing it because I feel secure. But I'm not going to, you know, it's like there's no reason to deny it. I'm just going to accept it. Thank you. That's the other thing. You bring, I bring positive. Thank you. Thank you, Yoshi. But on a podcast, I'm dissecting it. But in real life, I go, thank you. So what's your um, short-term and long-term goals these days? Um, Short-term is... I like doing warm-up. It keeps me sharp during the day. Sure. I like doing stand-up uh, in town a few nights a week. I like going on the road um, for a tour or weekends or what. I'm enjoying yeah. that. Um, I need to podcast more. I need to update my resume and bio. I need to get my website up and running. I need to... I'd like to see about writing a book. I need to create jokes for another hour of material. I need to lose weight, get down to 195 pounds. I need to probably move out of my apartment. My neighbors are too loud upstairs. I need to get my car oiled and lubed. And then, yeah, I would. I hope you, I hope you have a chance to go to Europe. Um, I think you'll like those audience. I think they'll like you a lot. They're very savvy, I'd like to go uh, comedy audience. Um, I'd like to go to Europe. I'd like to go to Australia. I'd oh yeah, like to you know maybe get a job in baseball. I'm just kind of like, you know, it took me a while, and I'm almost there to like debrief from doing my show, yeah. my show on Comedy Central. Just the the editing, and then the promotion, and then when it aired, and then after. I feel like I'm almost fully cleansed of that chapter not in a bad way but ready to move on to the next thing and yeah hopefully i'll book some acting spots i'll get you know do do something i'm always going to be open to like doing voiceovers doing acting booking a movie getting to be on a tv show a guest on a game show whatever those will always of course those things you want to do but there's practical things I need to work on. Yeah. And then along the way, at the very least, get on stage and show your face. On July 24th, I will be doing a show with uh, Chris Gore, Judah Freelander, Adrian Curry at the San Diego Comic-Con. And if Brody is free that night, um, you might come down and do a show with I us. I might do yeah. it if I'm if I'm not going to be at Starbucks. I'm but, kidding. Um, yeah, hope, we would love to uh, see you on the show. and. Um, I, I I got a few minutes left. I I do want to talk just a little bit of baseball. Yeah. Um. So, um, Alex Rodriguez uh, is banned for this year. I, I knew I knew you you kind of know him. Do you think he's so? What do you, what did you think about the whole situation? I mean, it's not good. What do, what, do what, you what, think? what can I tell you? He, what do you think? How they're going to treat him next year when he come back? Because Derek Jeter's retiring. So. I mean, I don't know if he's going to come back. I don't know if they're going to let him back. I don't know if they're going to just um, eat his contract. Mm -hmm. So there's all 
you know, a lot of variables. I my my feeling is Okay, let me ask you, what do you think should happen versus what do you think is going to happen? What do I think that should happen? Mm -hmm. If he want to come back, would you would you let him come back? Yeah. Mhm. Mm I mean, he's got to be clean. Mhm. Mm I think he will. Only because that's the way it is. I I don't me personally, I don't mind. I mean, I liked watching Barry Bonds hit those home runs. I so liked I. watching Roger Clemens do that. But and I've always said that I feel like, you know what, after 35 or after 40, you should be able to use HGH. <laughs> like if you are <laughs> yeah, 35 and older, you get to use that. Or you're I, 40. I, I guess what I do understand like every time Kobe Bryant's hurt over the summer, he go to Germany, Germany, and I know he's doing something like that. So I don't understand why it's okay to do it to speed up your healing, but somehow it's not okay during the season. I don't, I don't know. Well, I, don't, I, know, I really don't know the fine line ethic. I don't really care. Okay, let's say you need it for healing. Yeah. Let's say you guys take you take HGH so you're not sore mm -hmm. the next day. Let's say you tore your ACL. Well. I don't know if HGH would help with that, but I, I think that let's say you weren't hurt mm -hmm. and you were taking HGH and you're a baseball player, you could probably pitch on consecutive days. Sure. Or you'll just feel strong every day. Your recovery time is quicker. And then probably stronger, just stronger in general. And if you're not hurt, stronger. So... You know, it's uh, it's better without it in the game, let's be honest. Yeah. And it's really great to see these young players coming up and doing well, like Yasiel Puig and Mike, Mike Trout. Trout. He's incredible. Uh, Abreu on the White Sox and a bunch of these guys on the A's. And it's really great to see those guys pr to play. They're not on anything for the no. moment. I don't think so. And then you do have a lot of pitchers, though, hurting their elbows these days. I don't know why. I'm going to sneeze here. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, the fact that I don't think your body was meant to do that, throw a ball 90, 95, even 101 miles an hour, I don't think your arms were meant to do something like that, to be frank. I mean, how many times? I don't think your arm is meant to, you know, they say that. Well, what do you think a caveman? A caveman threw a rock. I'm sure he did. But not in like. All right, I'm sure. Who's to say a caveman didn't go down to a stream and just throw rocks at a duck or something? I don't know. They say it's not natural. I mean, I don't know. Babies throw. Yes, over and over and over again. Maybe not, but I just think the guys are blowing out their elbows. I don't know why. It could be a number of things. They're babying their arms and yeah. they overdo it or they're throwing curveballs too young. I don't know. I had to know. I screwed up my elbow. My theory behind my elbow being screwed up is okay. that I had improper mechanics. <laughs> so the way I threw the ball, I put extra torque on my elbow. And I felt as though when I got stronger and really started increasing the velocity because my mechanics were bad that just caused more problems on my elbow and then later on in life I took like five or six years off from throwing then I started getting back into it 
and I started picking up new professional throwing mechanics and my elbow started feeling better. I started I was able to actually throw the ball pretty good. Who was that player that he played for Little Bay? He quit, became a high school teacher, and he told the players like if you guys win a state championship. The rookie. Yeah, he ended up playing for Marlins for the year or two. Pitched right? for the Devil Rays for like Uh-oh. just a few games. What was his name? Jim something. But he hurt his arm when he retired. But the, by the time he came back, maybe 10 years later, yeah, he was throwing harder and faster than yeah. before. He came back. Yeah. The Rookie. Great movie. Saw it with Judah Friedlander. Um, Who will be performing with me in uh, San Diego Comic Con July 24th. Yeah, did, Brody, I we need rook- you. did I see the rookie with Judah? I think I did. I either saw that or Gladiator with Judah. I think I saw the rookie. Um, but yeah. Like, go, go but, but, but going back. So, go ahead, Yoshi. So, A-Rod, do you think he's mostly misunderstood? Because I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a Seattle Mariner fan. I was sad when he left, and I, I never had those feelings. But there just seems so much negativity around him. You, you spent time with him. Yeah, I did. I mean, he was nice to you, right? He was nice to me. Mm-hmm. He actually said, Brody, you're positive energy. You got good energy. So, look, A-Rod has got a lot of problems. Maybe he wasn't honest. Maybe he isn't honest with himself. I don't know. I really haven't thought about it much mm-hmm. since he's been gone. So it's probably good. You know, if everyone's after you, there's got to be there's, where there's smoke, there's fire. It's not that he's completely innocent. He lied a couple times, and people don't like that. But it just felt like they were going out of their way going against him because there's plenty of other players cheating. I know, but people, A-Rod yeah. makes the most money. Sure. New York Yankees, famous girlfriends, um, you know, into his body. Just a lot of stuff. You know, he, he's he's left himself open, cheating on, you know, with these girls or whatever. He's left himself open for that. Sure. So, you know, when he came up with the Mariners, happy kid, perfect. They loved him. They and really, then, mm, you know, he went to Texas. Texas a Ranger for three, four years. And then these things started happening. Yeah. So, look, it, it's sad that we they take people get taken down in this country. And they want to they want to break bring you up and then break you down, but you can make it back. People forget, people forgive. It takes time, but you got to really be sincere. Yeah. And I I would like to spend time with A Rod and go Alex. Just be honest. Be completely honest. You lied. You cheated because of this. If you did, if you did, I'm not saying he did, and just admit. Throw it all out there. Donate your money. Put the time in. Really, truly show. Because he's, but, but maybe you don't. Because he's still within. If he come back to next year to break the home run record, I know, but no one even what? cares. It's not like real. Yeah, it's not a real record. The all-time home run record at this point. Because I think people still say Hank Aaron has the right. record. But I like watching the home runs. Yeah. You know, McGuire and Sosa saved baseball. People loved it. So let's not. Those fool are the it. players who had that one magical season, hit a lot of home runs, 
but that was immediately after the big strike that people are still upset over. Yeah. But the home run uh, brought the excitement Brought it back. back. Yeah. Everybody was hitting home runs. Yeah. And then we found out these guys were juiced up or yeah. whatever. So, but everybody was. And, and I think the tragedy for me, I'm a fan of Barry Bond, and I think he had a great season that year. But because those two guys were hitting so much home run, he wasn't getting credit for the stuff he was doing. And he was incredible, defensively speaking, right. for that average uh, uh, defensive play, hitting home runs. He you wanted know. in on it. Yeah. And then uh, I, I think I think that kind of got to him because he, he, he didn't get the kind of adulation that he deserved that year. And then probably, he probably cheated. But I, I think we're all uh, Barry Bond because I can't think within my lifetime who put fear like that guy. One player in baseball that, uh, boy, he, you know, you're a pitcher. You, yeah. And he, did he go to Arizona State too? You went to Arizona State? Yeah, so you, I'm sure you probably met, met him. him. Yeah. Yes, I've met Barry Bonds. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. But again, you have to look at he was involved in that stuff. Yeah. And look how big he got. He was huge. I mean, I don't want to come down on guys. What do I know? But that's why I, I'm. I, I do also feel bad for those guys. But I feel even more for um, Junior playing for Mariner, Ken Griffey Junior. Because I don't think he cheated. And he was all around great player. Unfortunately, like five or seven years, he was hurt. Yeah. But overall, man, the number of home runs that he had, he was incredible. You remember the kid? Yeah. You know, and. Um, I keep farting. Uh, yeah, he was great. <laughs> Do you want to talk any other uh, players that kind of influence on you the like? I have to say, I I really enjoy meeting Joe Torre at the Tonight Show. Oh, you did meet him there. One of the kindest, nicest person. And I have to say, when I mentioned your name, Brody, he lights up. He, light, he yeah, lit up. Yeah. I think you told me that. Yeah, he told me like, "Hey, uh, what's your name?" So I'll I'll tell Mike Varzello and Brody that I saw you. Very kind. I mean. I, I can understand why all the players respect him at the New York Yankees, and, and to this day, Derek Jeter called him Mr. Torrey. Yeah. And, yeah I mean, uh, he's he's royalty. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame this year. He gets inducted, Joe Torrey. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful man and uh, four World Series championship. And Good uh, guy, great man, respected, played the game, you know. You know, you say Joe Torrey, that carries weight. And I think your uh, very close friend, Mike Brazillo's dad played with him, correct? They grew up together in Brooklyn. I see. They grew up. And so I've always been around Joe Torre, always been around the name, the energy. And it's pretty crazy. Went to the Yankees and all those championships. It was just a, a wonderful ride. And uh, it's good to see Joe when I see him. I don't see him as much. Mm -hmm. But, you know. I will down the ride. I, just, I love being around baseball. I just get excited. Not necessarily like going to the games. I like going to the stadium. I like going where the fans don't get to go. I yeah. like the access. I like being a part of the inside. So I, I would be happy going to the stadium early. A 7 o'clock game. I get there at 4. I leave at 7.30. Fine. See ya. See the guys. Talk to them. Watch an inning or two. Then I'm out. Let's finish with this. Uh, you got do, it. Do you have a couple of names of like the people that you met through baseball? Like, wow, this really person um, changed my life, or I, I'm glad I met this person. And, well, uh, I, I mean, I like all the guys. I like they come to my shows. Clayton Kershaw with the Dodgers, uh, Andre Ethier with the Dodgers, Jeff Weaver, Yankees and Dodgers. Um, you know, I get a lot of those guys out. They've, I get a kick out of it. Yeah. 
you know, when I go back to Arizona State and do the banquets and I talk to the players, I get I get a it's you do that every year? I try to as many you know, as much as I can. And then I'll go to a game and you'll run into a player. Oh, yeah. Brody and and they move around to different teams. So you go to a different stadium, they're playing everything. <laughs> yes. And they were like I went to the Red Sox game a couple uh few weeks ago. It was back in Boston and I knew the manager of the of the Tigers, Brad Osmus, so I went and said hello to him. And then a couple of the Red Sox came up to me, A.J. Przinsky, the catcher, and David Ross, the other catcher. They came up to me. They remember me from Best Damn Sports and a, a comedy skit I did. Yeah. Any big hugs? Do you need anything? And there was other guys I could have known, too. I mean, I do know, and I could have pushed it. But I always get a kick out of that, like, wow, these guys know me. And now they're in a game, and they're at bat. And if you ask them, do you know Brody? Yeah, I know Brody. You know, it's like, <laughs> yes. But... You know, I played baseball. I know mechanics. I can talk. I could talk baseball with them, so they get a kick out of it. Yeah. You know, so I yeah, I, I'm into just something about baseball in me. You know, I, I I respect comedians. I respect actors. I respect famous people. But if you're a major league baseball player or you played, it's just a different. It's a different level of respect you're going to get from me. And, and was overall watching baseball in Japan, what was that like for you? We'll finish right now. Oh, they're into it. I mean, <clears throat> Japanese baseball's crazy. Like, they are so into it. And then you're seeing the players come over here, and they're just getting better and better, more and more and better. It's like Pearl Harbor. They keep coming. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> you got it, Brody, racist. This kid, Tanaka, to play for New York Yankees. He's great. And you, Darvish, for New York. Uh, He's I mean, great. Uh, Texas Rangers. Exciting to see these guys. It's um, fun. They're good pitchers. They've got mechanic, cool pitches and great discipline, mechanics. Team play. They throw the ball good, you know. And the and then there's a lot of Asian, you know, position players too that are that play the game good and are fun to watch. Not too many of those uh, what we would consider power hitter, but uh, I have to say, I really really enjoy playing Matsui the last game during the uh, the World Series for Yankees. Remember the last game? He had a home run. He had a double, triple, and like I thought he was going to hit for cycle, but uh, he was MVP. And then uh, shortly after, uh, I didn't resign him. But the uh, Angels. But uh, for until the day he dies, I think he'll be forever loved, beloved figure in New York City. Oh yeah, Matsui was yeah. great. Matsui. I love the guy. He's a true uh, classic Japanese. I mean, Ichiro Suzuki is like cool guy that most people can relate. But uh, Matsui to me is what every Japanese could relate to. Just down-to-earth guy, loved the game, did the best he can, and respect his teammate and, and give everything he got. And he ended his career with the Yankees almost like a movie-like way. And uh, I, I was really thrilled. That, that to me was one of my favorite baseball experiences. Yeah, Matsui, very nice guy. very. And I remember you told me when I went to uh, Tokyo, before that, I remember you said, like, Matsui's the biggest guy. Yeah. He's the biggest one. Play for Tokyo Giants, yeah. Like, that's the guy. He's Godzilla. Yeah. That's what his nickname was. You know, he had home runs. That's what people, the, the Japanese, they love seeing the home runs. So you got, you know, Sada Hada O, who oh, had yes. more home runs than Babe Ruth or, or Hank Aaron. And then you get this Matsui, who's just power hitter, but also just a great hitter and... It was great watching with the Yankees and the the fans. I think it's great. I love it when the different cultures play in sports, yeah. like with basketball. I thought it was cool, Jeremy Lin. I think it's great when you got, you know, Mexican guys or what Latino Dominican, guys, Dominican. Cuban, there's Iranian, Koreans, Israeli. Taiwanese, yeah. Get them all in. I don't care. 
And isn't it also cool that, you know, we're kind of over the talk of the gay athletes? Good. It's like, yeah. it's, you know, they got the gay Jason Collins, the gay guy on the, the Nets. You got Michael Sam. Sam the gay. Yeah. Yes, it's kind of weird or the media and it's still a thing, but they don't talk about Jason Collins and him being like. At the end of the day, if you're, if you're a good teammate and you help the team win, that's all that matters. And I think younger people are different from uh, even from our generation, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that I see that. And and um, one country that I think, uh, let's finish with this, I really want you to go is Netherlands because Netherlands is one of the few countries in Europe have a tradition playing baseball ever since World War II. We oh, were, yeah. And uh, the, the Dutch uh, have a many play, uh, many, uh, they were, they're into baseball. They're the one of the few European countries into baseball. So Netherlands, yeah. Yeah. It would be cool to see you go over there, uh, do comedy. But check out the baseball thing. Maybe this could be like a reality show for Brody, like an internet show, or you know. And you're already uh, thinking you. Your wheels are turning. And I have friends of Vice, and they're starting doing a sport a sports section for Vice. But yeah, uh, Brody, thanks for doing this show. Um, um, I'm glad uh, you were able to do it. On, uh, you know, within your busy schedule, and um, it was fun having you on the show. And thanks for talking about comedy and stand up. And uh, do you, do you want to talk about your Twitter account so they could follow you? Uh, websites, yeah. any anything yeah. coming up? Oh, okay. Well, you can find me on Chelsea Lately here in America. That will be airing June 26th. I also have a comedy stand-up piece coming out for Meltdown mm -hmm. on Comedy Central. It's called Meltdown. I'll be doing a five-minute stand-up piece. You can also see me, hopefully, around the country doing shows. I know I'm going to be in Foxwoods in Connecticut at the casino later this month, June 28th and 29th, I believe. Yeah. And um, here in L.A. at Midnight, at Ridiculousness, Comedy Store, Improv, Podcasting, and hopefully one day Europe, one day Australia. New Zealand. A, write a book, New Zealand, get a website, get a girl, buy a Prius, get a condo, <laughs> All right. have a child, <coughs> and what else? Do an hour album. So I got stuff to do. And hopefully I would like to see you in another movie with Zach. I, I love seeing you guys together. Hey, it'd be great to be in another movie. You know, it would be. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll eventually start putting that energy out to be in a movie. And hopefully that will happen. Yeah. It would be a nice thing. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. Would I be disappointed? Yeah, I would be. But I've already been in a few, and that's yep. good enough. All right, Brody, thanks. And uh, um, uh, congratulations. I always enjoy seeing you on TV and movies. And... Um, you know, I'm sure when, whenever we're, uh, we're doing shows in L.A., we'll see each other. You got it, Yoshi. Yes, friendship, 20 years, going strong from Seattle to Los Angeles. Yes. Thanks, buddy. See you guys. Thanks for listening.